and turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, and we'll get there in just a minute. Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. We'll look at that in a little bit. But as we begin, I want to uh, share with you what Jesus says about the days in which we live. You know, uh, people are asking, what in the world is going on? I mean, we've never seen such violence. We've never seen such storms. We've never seen uh, such distrust and deception. Uh, we're, we're just living in a very difficult season. I don't know if you remember this, but the Lord told his disciples that right before he uh, comes back, that there's going to be difficult days. And in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus says that when he comes back at his second coming, it's going to be a time of great deception. Have you noticed we can't hardly get at the truth of anything anymore? <laughs> Folks, what is a woman? <laughs> Half the country don't know anymore. We, we, you know, a biology doesn't matter. We are being deceived left, right, and center. Information is being kept from us. Other information is given to us for uh, propaganda purposes and that kind of thing. Jesus says there will be a time of wars and rumors of wars. And we certainly have that going on. Famines and pestilence, we've got that going on. Earthquakes in many places. Just had a massive earthquake in Morocco. Over 2,000 people there feared to be uh, dead because of that. Lawlessness will abound. Matthew 24, 12. In the last days, lawlessness will abound. The spirit of anarchy is gripping our society. We've got violence going on like we've never seen it in the history of our nation. And a lot of it is just left to happen. Nothing is being done about it. So yes, lawlessness is abounding and the love of many... Grown cold. A lot of people have just given up. Even people who claim to be believers, followers of Christ. This last uh, thing, uh, the pa pandemic, they've just given up. They just, I just don't care anymore. Just don't care. The love of many will grow cold. Jesus also said in a parallel passage in the last days before he comes back, it will be like the days of Noah and Lot. The days of Noah and Lot are characterized by people who do not give any respect, any attention to God. They live as if God does not exist. It's like God does not exist. And one of the prevailing characteristics of that, those times, Noah and Lot, was this preoccupation and consumption, just literally consumed with perverted sex, perversion of sex. Homosexuality, lesbian, that type of thing. Yes, in biblical times. Go back and study it. They may even have been as perverted as we are at this time. But we are progressing very hastily, if you hadn't noticed. And another passage, parallel passage. Jesus says right before he comes back, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. We're going to see some very unusual things in the heavenlies. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. Have you ever seen such a complicated time in your life across the world among the nations? When we look at what's going on in Ukraine with Russia and that situation, 
many of us would say, well, let's just get together and go over there and just put an end to this thing. Let's take more guns, bigger guns, bigger bombs, and all. let's just end this thing, get together as a nation's. But we can't do that, can we? Why? Because it's complicated. Russia has nuclear capability and a lot of it. That makes everything so complicated. But the nations, the distress of nations with perplexity, and listen to this one, and the sea and the waves roaring. (laughs) Hurricane Tsunami after tsunami. It's like somebody's on the tip of Africa playing marbles <laughs> and just shooting them hurricanes off one at a time. <laughs> and it is just coming across. There's a monster out there now. Praise God. I hope it don't land anywhere, but it's massive. But Jesus says, in the last days, right before I come back, all of these things are going to be happening. Now listen to this. Men's hearts failing them from fear. We have more mental health issues than we've ever had in our lives in this nation. And what is causing that? Many people believe it's the fear of what's going on around them and the hopelessness of what our our country has become and the expectations of things which are coming on the earth. Their hearts are failing them because of... A fear of what's coming next or what could come next. Are you in that category? Maybe I'm not. I'm not in that category as a believer. We're told to fear not. The Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Honey, I know who's in charge, and I know what's coming next. Do you know what's coming next? Our hearts should be filled with anticipation and excitement because the Lord is going to come soon and rescue His people out of this tribulation. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I want to encourage you and teach you from the Scripture what is coming next. First, we're going to look at what I'm going to call the plan of God revealed. And it is in the book of Leviticus. You said, I never knew it. Well, you know, most people don't read Leviticus. (laughs) We're told by a lot of foolish preachers that you don't need the Old Testament anymore. There's no value in that. Honey, the God's prophetic plan for the nations is listed in Leviticus 23. And that's why we knew it not. I didn't know it for a long time myself. Let me read. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord. Whose feast? The The Lord's feast. Which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, holy assemblies, holy meeting times. Even these are my feast. Verse 4, These are the feast of the Lord, even holy meeting times, convocations. Assemblies which you shall proclaim in their seasons. They have seasons. Now, as you scan the rest of this chapter, this is kind of an overview. In verse 5, you have the Passover. In verse 6, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In verse 10, you have first fruits. In verses 16 and 17, you have Pentecost, trumpets in 24. 
Day of Atonement in 27 and 28, and Tabernacles in verse 34. You got how many feasts? Seven. Not six feasts, not five feasts, not eight feasts, or nine feasts, or ten feasts, but seven feasts. If you know anything about numerology in the Scripture, what is seven? The number of perfection. We have seven feasts, and I have told you for years... When the Lord revealed this to me years ago through a, Jew, a Messianic Jewish brother in Christ. That the feasts of the Lord are God's prophetic and redemptive plan for the ages. And it's in Leviticus 23. This is the redemptive plan of God's ancient people Israel. How he delivered them. How he provided for them. And how they were to respond to him through these feasts. It's absolutely amazing. Take the first one, Passover. They were in bondage in Egypt. They called out to God. God sent them a deliverer. And they came out from bondage under the blood of the Passover lamb. Did they not? They took the blood of that Passover lamb. They put it on the doorpost and on the lintel. The death angel of God passed over them and they were safe. And the next day they did what? They came out under the blood of the Passover lamb. They were delivered. So they were delivered from Egyptian bondage through the blood of the Passover lamb. The next day was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's a feast that turned into a seven-day feast. They came out in haste. Their yeast did not, their dough did not rise. And God said, you're going to come out and you're going to eat the bread of affliction. You're going to eat unleavened bread. This turned into a long seven-day feast. Leaven is a symbol of sin and evil. And God says, you are my people. You are a congregation of people unto me. And you're going to remove that symbol, that yeast, that leaven from yourself for seven days. You are my people. And you are to live as a separated people. Then the third feast you have there is first fruits. And this feast was the celebration of the barley harvest. They couldn't eat this barley. They couldn't do anything with it. They couldn't harvest it until they took a sheaf of it and took it to the house of God and had a worship service before the Lord, thanking Him for providing for them and their needs. So they've Thank God, they worshiped God, they had sacrifices. Then they were released into the harvest, and God guaranteed the harvest and blessing upon them. First fruits is also a time marker. They started counting up from first fruits one, two, three, first week, second week, third week, seven weeks. And then on the next day was the 50th day, which they celebrated the feast of Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50th. That was the wheat harvest. The first one is barley, the cheap stuff, <laughs> the stuff they didn't like a whole lot. The bread that they liked was that wheat harvest bread. And before they could eat that, they had to do the same thing. They cut a sheaf in a ceremony, took it down to the house of God. They worshiped the Lord. Sacrifices were given with that. And then... They were released into the harvest, which guaranteed the harvest. Again, they're thanking God. They're worshiping God for providing for them. So as you work your way through this, you see this is how God took care of them. This is how they approach God. 
how they responded to God. They were in a relationship with God through uh, uh, the, the feast and their covenant with God. This is how they celebrated it. Then you come to the Feast of Trumpets, which is they went through the summer and toward the fall of the year. These were the fall feasts. Trumpets was simply a memorial of blowing of the trumpets. They blew it over a hundred times. And what this symbolized was this. This is the seventh month, the holy month, the table their fall feast, saying to them, God is coming on the day of atonement, and he's going to judge us. They had to get ready for God's coming. They had to repent. They had to make uh, uh, time to get ready for God when he came on the day of atonement. So throughout all the land, the trumpet was sounding to let God's people know it's time to come back to the house of God for the fall feast. And then on the day of atonement, they had a very special sacrifice where the priest went into the Holy of Holies and offered blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, seven times striking it. And that provided a covering from the lawbreakers on the outside from the law that is on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest would go out and let them know. Can't give you all the details. We'd be here to 4 o'clock. But then to let them know that they were forgiven. And then they moved on. And then five days later, they had the Feast of Tabernacles in verse 34. And this was a feast that commemorated what God had done for his ancient people in the past in the wilderness. They made little booths that week. It was a seven-day feast. They made little booths out of twigs and branches and laps and palm fronds and that kind of thing. And they camped out with God that week. They ate in the booths. They slept in the booths and that kind of thing to remember God's provision for their forefathers when they were in the wilderness. But it's also a celebration of the fruit harvest at the end of their growing year. Olives. Olives were extremely important. Olive oil. In that kind of thing. So they celebrated all this seven day feast. And then it started again in the spring of the year. But between tabernacles and Passover, they prayed for the rains to come and prepare the ground so that they would have a grain harvest in the springtime. Now, these feasts represent how God delivered them and how God expected them to respond to him, how they had a relationship with him, this coming and going, coming and going, thanking him for providing for them, and he did provide for them. Who's in charge of the rain? Who's in charge of the harvest? And they walked with God, and they were obedient. They got exactly what they needed, and they were blessed. But when they didn't, they did not. But this is how God's ancient people Connected with God through these feasts and their covenant that they uh, had made with him. Now, here's the thing that's really amazing. These feasts are not only the redemptive plan for Israel, but they are God's redemptive plan and prophetic plan for the ages. If we put all of these feasts on a wheel, it kind of looks like this. Someone has said that a picture is worth a thousand words. I think I probably just used a thousand words to describe these seven feasts. But if you look at it on a wheel like that, 
The inner wheel is our months. The outer part of the wheel, as far as those months, are Jewish time, lunar time. They don't go by the Gregorian calendar like we do. They go by the lunar time. And if you read Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that God does too. (laughs) He didn't measure from morning to evening. It was from evening of one day to the evening of the next day, lunar time. All of these feasts came in with the phasing of the moon, not with the sun coming up, but the phasing of the moon, which is very interesting later. But you simply see see in the spring they had three feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. And then they counted up 50 days, and then late spring, early summer, you got Pentecost. And then after that, they went into the length of summer. And then you got three that go together in, in the fall. Fall feast, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Trumpets take place on the seventh month of their year, biblical year, uh, Tishri. On the first day, ten days later is atonement. Five days after that, tabernacles. And it's just like that. A picture is worth a thousand words. Now, that is how God dealt with his people and delivered them. But it's not just for the Jewish people. I'll state again. The feasts of the Lord are God's prophetic and redemptive plan for humanity. You say, you've got to be kidding. No, I'm not. This leads us to the second thing. And that is not only the, God of, the plan of God revealed, but the plan of God fulfilled. Part of these feasts have already been fulfilled. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2. This is one of the most revelatory verses, passages in the scriptures. It's absolutely uh, amazing. Colossians chapter 2. I don't hear any pages turning much. We need our Bibles. I don't want you to just listen to what I say. I want you to see it on the page. I want you to take it with you and study it. Now, I want you to listen to what Paul says here. They're having a discussion about some struggles that they're having with circumcision and uncircumcision and the things of the law and the feasts and that kind of thing. And in verse 16, Paul says this, Let no man therefore judge you in food or in drink or in respect to a holiday, literally a feast day, or a new moon. Remember, these feasts come in on new moons. Or of Sabbath days. Feast days were extra Sabbaths, if you would, if you will. So don't let anybody judge you in food or drink in respect to a feast day, or the new moon, or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. Did you get that? The feast days are a shadow of things to come, but the body or the substance is of who? Christ. Wow. The understanding of words helps us understand the text. The word shadow in Thayer's Greek-English Dictionary says that the shadow is an image cast by an object representing the form of that object, the thing itself. He isolates this word in this verse and translates it as, hence, a sketch or an outline. 
Now let me read that again. Let no man judge you in food or drink or in respect to a feast day or a new moon or Sabbath days, which are a shadow, a sketch, an outline of things to come. Wow. Let that sink in. The feast day is not the substance. The feast day is the shadow. Pointing toward, foreshadowing something in the future which is coming. The shadow is from that. The shadow is not the substance. The substance is out in the future. You get that? You're going to shout when this gets a hold of you. It is a, these feast days are a sketch or an outline of things which are coming. And then he goes on to say, but the body is of Christ. That word body can be translated and is translated in the New King James, in the NAS, the ESV, the Amplify, uh, Amplified Bible, the NIV, and a host of others as substance and reality and fact. So the feast days are an outline. They are a sketch of the substance and the reality and the fact of Christ. Oh my goodness. The word of God is telling me that these feasts were foreshadowing what Christ would do in the future for the redemption of mankind. Like God redeemed his people Israel, Christ will also redeem his people in the future. Glory be to God. Don't that just make you want to shout? And it's right there in your New Testament. Right there all along. Telling us, revealing to us with revelation and understanding that the feast and the Sabbath pointed to what God would do in the future. Now, who would God use to carry out his redemptive plan to the nations? Who would he use? The second person of the Holy Trinity. Who is who? Jesus Christ. And the third person of the Holy Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. Now put your seatbelt on. I want to show you what happens here. Here are the feast days. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits that happened in the spring of the year. And at Jesus' first coming, Jesus gets crucified on Passover. <gasps> right on the day. Not the day before, not the day after, the week later. Jesus gets himself crucified right on the day of Passover. And this is what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Woo! Glory! Christ is our Passover. He has been sacrificed for us. When John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, he began, when Jesus began his public ministry, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking toward him. And he says, behold, hey, this dude's Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world. Is that what he said? No. He said, behold, 
the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. And when Jesus died on uh, Passover, he fulfilled the feast of Passover. Hallelujah. And when you repent of your sins as a sinner and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the blood of the Passover lamb is applied to your life and you are forgiven by God and you have been delivered from the burden and the penalty the penalty of sin in your life. Just like ancient Israel was delivered from the Egyptian bondage and came out under the Passover lamb, honey, I am going to be delivered and am delivered through the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. That's good. Let me go on. Unleavened bread. Jesus gets buried the next day. Just happens to be on the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus' body did not see corruption. It was unleavened. He did not rot in the grave. Why? Because he was unleavened. God says, my Holy One will not see corruption. Acts 2.27 is a quotation from Psalm 16 and 10. And then the third one, first fruits. Guess what day Jesus rose from the grave? On the day of first fruits. Not the day before, not the day later, not a week later. He arose on the grave in resurrection power on the day of first fruits to fulfill that feast. And Paul says that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of them that slept. Use that exact word, first fruits of those who have died, and every man in his own order. Hallelujah. So at Jesus' first coming, he fulfilled the first three of the spring feasts. And provided redemption for the Lord's people. Mm. So I don't believe I've ever heard that much. Well, this is, I'm preaching right out of the Bible. Our problem is we don't have enough Jewish people in our congregations and among us to teach us these things. <laughs> they know. These Messianic Jewish people, they know. They got a good grab and a good understanding of that Old Testament. This is amazing stuff. Jesus spent how many days with the, 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 the disciples before he ascended to heaven? Forty days. And what did he say to them? What did he say to them before he left? He said, go hang out at Jerusalem. And don't leave until you're endued with power from on high. Not until you get juiced. Do you leave that place? Because you're going to need the power of God to do what I've called you to do. So after first fruits, they started counting up. First week, second week, seven weeks, and then the next day is what? Pentecost. And guess when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon that group? Right on the day of Pentecost. Right on the day. Not the day before, not the day after. Acts 2.1 says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Spirit of God, right on those early believers in the church was birthed into existence, and they've been, we've been going forth ever since for a little over 2,000 years. Four of those feasts have already been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the first three and then went back. God sent his Holy Spirit, the third person of his Holy Trinity, to carry on the work of Christ. 
what he had done and what he had started. And the church of Christ. Amen? Now, what's coming next? What's coming next, folks? Trumpets. Here's the plan of God that's next in 1 Thessalonians. I'll not read all of these verses, but I will read... Verse 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Uh oh. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but there are three very simple features to trumpets the Feast of Trumps. You remember what they were? The sounding of the trumpet, the coming of the Lord, and the regathering of the Lord's people. Right? That's what happens. I just read the scripture about the rapture of the church. And in the rapture of the church, all three of those things are fulfilled in that text. They're right there. The sounding of the trumpet. It says when this takes place... That the trump of God will be sounded. Not the trump of man. Not the trump on the earth. But it says the trump of God. God himself is going to blow that trumpet and sound that trumpet. Why? Because this is the fulfillment of the feast of trumpets. The text in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58 says it is the last trump. Why is it the last trump? That word means last in time and last in place. Why? Because God blows the trumpet and he is fulfilling the feast of trumpets. It will never be blown again in the same way for the same reason. This is a fulfillment. What happens next? The coming of the Lord. The Lord is coming. Your text says that the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout. He's coming for the bride of Christ. He is coming for those who belong to his body, who are saved and under the blood of the Passover lamb. Amen? And the third thing, the regathering of the saints. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who have died in Christ, they're going to rise uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58 tell us in the parallel that they're going to receive their new body. It also tells us if we happen to be alive at that time, we're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump. We're going to receive our glorified body, and then we're going to be gathered with the Lord in the air. You see, when the Lord comes in the, ap- uh, in the rapture, he doesn't touch down on the earth. He comes in the atmosphere. He comes in the air. This is not the second coming of Christ. This is the rapture. Those are two separate things. But this is a fulfillment. The rapture of the church is a fulfillment of the feast of trumpets. Woo! Don't that make you want to shout just a little bit? Let's see if you can squeak one out. Woo! Come on now. Look at this. At Jesus' second coming... At the front end of it, he fulfills the Feast of Trumpets with the rapture. And the church age is drawn to a close and a whole lot of other things take place that we'll talk about later. Remember, these feasts come in with the phasing of the moon. Passover in the first month of their biblical year comes in on a full moon. 
Pentecost comes in on a half moon. And in the seventh month, the holy month for the fall feast, it comes in with the tiniest sliver of moon. It's that thief in the night aspect where the body of Christ is going to be raptured out and everybody's going to be saying, what in the world just happened? We'll be gone. We'll be gone. Mm. That moon is, I think, like 1% or 2% showing. Oftentimes in biblical times, they could, the, the, they could not start blowing the trumpet until they saw that moon. And sometimes the weather was bad. <laughs> And they didn't see it. They had to wait. And then the next day. So, you know, it was like one day, two days. <laughs> it could be three days right in there. But they blew it on the second day and the third day. And they blew it, the trumpet over a hundred times to announce the coming of the Lord. This starts a whole chain of events that we'll deal with later. But that is what's coming next. According to God's word. That's what's coming next. And when will it come? <laughs> it could be soon. Do you know when the official time of trumpets is next? Next weekend. <laughs> Can you grab this? Next Friday, sundown, through Sunday afternoon sundown. There's two days there, window of time. We could be gone. <laughs> now, don't sit out there and say, well, the Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour. That has nothing to do with rapture. It has everything to do with the second coming of Christ. So don't, don't be telling me that stuff. Why wouldn't he come? At that time, Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. He was raised to life on first fruits. The Holy Spirit came and birthed the church on Pentecost. Why would he not come at trumpets in the rapture? Got a pattern there, people. Woo! And he says that all of these things are going to be happening out here in the world. The heavens are going to be different. The seas are going to roar. Hurricanes. There are going to be earthquakes. There's going to be this spirit of anarchy that's gripped our society. And the love of many is going to grow cold. Many people are living as if God does not exist. Yeah. Men's hearts are failing them from fear of what's coming next. But not me, not you as a child of God. My heart's not gripped with fear. My heart is gripped with anticipation and excitement at what's coming next. This is what Jesus said. And when you see all of these things begin to come to pass, look up. Lift up your heads for your redemption is, draws nigh as near. Are you ready? Are you ready? When he comes, that's all that matters. If you're ready or not. If you're not ready, you need to get ready today. You need to come to this altar and 
do whatever business you need to do. If you need to be saved, we're here to lead you in that prayer for you to receive Christ as your Savior. If you've not been living like you should and you know it and you don't want to be ashamed that it's coming, you need to come and get right with him today. Amen? Because this next week, he could come. I'm listening for the sound. I believe all of God's children are going to hear that sound. We're going to be out of here. Amen? Let's bow before the Lord.